0: I never completely resolve the pattern if it's in the world but it's not present anymore personally it's present transpersonally and so now and so this is a bit esoteric but because i've done the work and there are areas where i have life says fantastic here's somebody who knows what to do so let's give him now like a dump truck full from the usa's energy field and as an example so I get to do it again now for the collective, but with tools and with resources. And so my sense is this could be world work. In other words, we can each potentially do world work.
1: Throughout history, the great questions have been asked and great research has been undertaken, always expanding the territory of the known by shining a light into the unknown. Where is that cutting edge today? And can a community of people from all over the world, each carrying their own unique journey of discovery, come together to inquire at the edge of purposeful evolution through conversation? At Portals of Perception, we think it is possible, and we hope that you will choose to be a part of this exploration.
2: We have explored in many ways how to create the inner and outer space that would allow the next phase of universal and human evolution, the future, to appear. It's time to embrace the bold proposition that evolution has moved forward and is still doing so, and the future has arrived. Homo sapiens welcome Homo universalis, the whole person. The evidence of individual and collective transformation is turning up in many places around the world. Homo universalis is not meant to be characterized by physical changes, but by changed lives and communities, the liberation of remarkable new intelligence, new capabilities, the elevation of thinking and behavior, and healing at many levels. Part of the human species updating represented by Homo Universalis is that each one of us can take steps to activate the new elevation and consciousness in ourselves. This conversation takes a deeper look at some of those steps. On the website, portalsofperception.org, there are slides that accompany this conversation that may help clarify some of these ideas. Join Aviv Shahar and Jeff van der Kloot for Homo Universalis Activates.
3: Welcome to Portals of Perception. We are delighted you have found us. You can join the Portals of Perception network on the site by subscribing and becoming a member. And you can attend one of our events. You can like us in all media channels and you're welcome to share our posts with others, become part of a global network that explores all sorts of fascinating questions at this time. Thank you. And welcome to another Jeff and Aviv skating to the frontiers of emergence to discover and decipher what is unfolding right there at the edge of our experiences at this time. Jeff, it's good to have you back here.
0: Thank you, Aviv. It is great to be back skating past the edge of the thin ice, possibly falling through and having a great time because the water is not that cold in this case.
3: Are we not always falling through to the other (laughs) side of the edge only to fall on our face and pick ourselves up and make it part of the learning and development experience? Sure. Well, so let me by perhaps begin by asking you what's alive for you at this moment and see where you want to lead us today?
0: Thanks, Aviv. So I believe the last time we connected in this way was a few months back. So before August, when I had a month-long retreat, and I had been feeling for quite some time since late last year that it would be important to schedule nothing for August, really clear the decks and Spend a lot of time in meditation and contemplation, a lot of unstructured time. So even the meditation and the contemplation was unstructured. And I have to say it was fantastic. I meditated many hours a day, some days eight hours or more. And other days I walked or practiced in various ways. And ah, just dropping into silence and opening, really. The theme was to open as wide as humanly possible, beyond humanly possible, and to be the vastness within which something new, for instance, a new world could arise. And so I did have the sense, palpably, that the whole world, the whole of manifestation really was kind of inside my heart, and that somehow if I could be vast enough and non-resistant then all the components of manifestation that are trying to work themselves out. And we look you know, in the news and we see there's a lot of unresolved energy in the world. Well, my feeling was if I could be completely non-resistant, somehow there would be a boost to the world energies finding their way. And the way that was confirmed was after the retreat ended and I reconnected with people I speak to or had spoken to on a weekly basis, uh, they had made leaps and bounds their progress spiritually professionally in business pretty much across the board every way you can think of they had made great progress sometimes that makes me think work with people and then disappear and somehow that's the greatest service i can provide in this case i I had a knowing that there's a deep connectivity an invisible connectivity kind of beneath the surface of our day-to-day consciousness, where because there was a heart connection with these people, whatever work I was doing was benefiting them as well. And so the closer I was to people and businesses, again, like this is very practical stuff, the more they somehow benefited from the deep dive into the stillness. And so it's anecdotal evidence, but my intention is to do it again and maybe go deeper and go further. And the leading edge right now, because of course that's what this is about today, skating to the very leading edge. The leading edge is I'm noticing when I am with people that where previously words were necessary and various, let's say, technologies for transformation were fruitfully applicable, now words are not necessary and the same degree of transformation is occurring. So what this says, at least what it points to is the possibility of working in a very maybe Taoist way, the non-doing doing and i'm keen to explore how well this scales because mm-hmm. in the world we seem to be pretty good at doing a lot of things and maybe beyond a point in our evolution that can become an obstacle so perhaps now this deep space of stillness this deep allowing and spacious abiding in which there is zero resistance creates the conditions for a kind of superconductivity and real progress to occur on a scale and at a pace that we might call unprecedented. So this is where I am.
3: Yes, it sounds uh, potently wonderful. And curiously, we didn't know about each other's plans. You know that last time we spoke was indeed in June after the seventh wave of epoch culmination work, and we have taken several months' break including actually me entering a similar space to what you're describing, whereby in August I allowed myself to be in the not knowing whether we will pick up the work again. I needed to get another signal that the re-engagement with the work will be done from a different place, a different place in myself, a different place in the community that we call a delegation up the epochal progression, up the epochal mountain. And indeed, we just uh, re-engaged the last two weekends. I don't know that we are able to claim a spacious, abiding, free of words <laughs> yet. I think we are attending still to the need to metabolize consciously with words. Still, where there is synergistic coherence with what you're describing, one of the opening comments was, let us recognize that we have entered the time of spontaneous developments, spontaneous healing, where what took three years can happen in three months or three weeks or three minutes or three seconds. Depends on one's location, inner cosmology and readiness, and what you just described as perhaps the absolution of resistance to truly become the very thing you imagine and or pray for in the moment that you do. So entering that permission, where the delay factor from the the mental and the psycho-spiritual to the cellular almost evaporates. Are we there fully? No. Is the permission and the blueprint of it nevertheless present and here? Probably yes. Do we have increasing evidence? I think so. You just described some. Do we need to be prepared to work at different levels of instantiation and manifestation? Yes. Is there an invitation I hear in what you're describing to let go of all the modalities and surrender and make an opening for a new higher level of work? I think that's what I'm hearing from what you're describing. So I am prepared to share a line of uh, work that appeared through these last two weekends. But let me just even pause here a moment and see where your intuition guides us uh, in this dialogue, because I just said a few things there.
0: Well, I'm a yes to all of it. And what I feel you do so brilliantly is synthesize many levels and many angles. So I might be coming from a particular vector and having a certain kind of experience, which is revealing and eliminating of a possibility. And then how do we instantiate the possibility in many ways and in many different kinds of situations? So I feel like we complement one another so well. And I know the work that you do with organizations and networks of people you know, has to be at multiple levels. And um I suppose it's a kind of mastery to be able to work at multiple levels simultaneously. So I'm keen today to explore and hear and receive the latest wisdom from the renewed work as you picked it back up after August and have a sense that what we're both perhaps starting to to peer into is this, this homo universalis, this, this broader context, maybe clearer, seeing more expanded sense of being that humanity is becoming.
3: Indeed, I do just want to pause for a minute with your proposal, your bigger proposal, which is that you could actually be sitting in silence and receiving large checks because of the work you do in an emanatory fashion. I don't think we should remove or take away that permission in the work I do in the world with large corporations. We still need to instantiate and ground this in language. And also with other people, I do sense very much That in the one-on-one work or one-to-few work, we are entering new cosmologies, new possibilities where there may be an efficacy of transmission and transformation with little or fewer words. And those are to do with the last piece I would want to share with you. Because what I want to do is the following. I've received on the run-up to the two weekends, several questions, inquiries in the line of uh, shadow work, because shadow work has become so very popular these days. And I've taken a path that I want to unfold, and what we took many hours, you and I can do slowly but swiftly, going through slides with actually a little voiceover, or just a bit. And the line that I've taken was to begin with development awareness. It proceeded to a development council, then proceeded into a development encouragement. 200 people on Zoom, everybody muted and proffering encouragement to others, speaking softly while they're muted, which is an experience that some would feel awkward, but the beauty is when you encourage somebody else, you encourage yourself. And then we open the broader spectrum of the Homo Universalis development and cultivation fields. Then we went deep, surgical, into the element of shadow work. And then coming out of it, I'd like to explore and reflect on some of the fields of power that are being activated. Because I think that will link us at the end just to where we started with what you're describing. So that's the flow that I'm proposing that we go through. Two thumbs up. Alrighty, so let me bring some slides. And we're just gonna go through this and pause and where we need to and see what turns up for you. So perhaps before even bringing the next slide, There is always a consideration in me of how do you no longer do teaching in the old way of teaching, which is the transference of knowledge, but really create an ecology and an experience where individuals and groups can come into the ecology and into that experience such that the knowledge, the discovery, the insight is self-arising. That means we have to become those at the leading edge and and the teams that with us in facilitation, we have to become the embodied field of actualization of those very things we talk about. Not that we need to be perfect, not that we need to be completely there, but more than anything, we need to embody the sentiments of the invitational space, the invitational permission to become what we are presencing. And so the development awareness offered that the majority of people, a great majority of people, I don't know whether it's 85 or 90 or 95 or 97%, but a great majority of people continue for most of their life to work on the same pattern, the same issue that they are grappling with. The details are changing, the environment, the players, they continually shapeshift. But essentially, at core, they're working on the same pattern. And there is nothing wrong with that. It's not that if you spend your entire life reworking the same pattern, there is something wrong with that. It is simply what is. There is no value judgment. It's an observation. And then that only a very small percentage of people completely resolve the pattern, resolve the issue. And when they do, guess what? They move on to work on the next pattern because that's the planetary deal. We are in the flesh in this boot camp of experience, a spirit being, conscious being inside the human experience to work through issues, to work through patterns, such that we resolve these and we bring the value of this experience to the collective consciousness that we come out of and that we and to which we proffer our, our experience. In my experience, the few and small percentage that get to work through and resolve the pattern completely, first of all, often discover that they actually didn't resolve the pattern completely and, then, and the pattern reappears in new ways. But secondly, if they do, often special circumstances are involved. They do so not just for themselves. They do so for service work, for leadership, calling that they were summoned into and for. They do so because of some destiny form, they do so because they enter a representational contract, a covenant, where they work on behalf of a cause, behalf of an issue, that then accelerates them almost to go through and experience a few lifetimes in one. But it was very important when we talked about this to offer the demarcation, the awareness that the second category is not better than the first. There is no one better than the other. It's simply what is And there is more a sense of acceptance and judgment-free awareness and recognition of where am I in this theater of development possibilities? And then people often ask, so what do you mean when you say the pattern or the issue? Well, most patterns, most issues, they appear with some kind of a relational dynamic. And just as a sampling, the offering was that a person's core struggle or core pattern tends to show up in relationship with other people, maybe with a specific person, an important or person you're living with, or another close-in person, or your relationship with your self-view, your relationship with your body, your relationship with money, with food, with gender issues, with power, with authority figure, with truth, with God, with death, with politics, with religion, even for some relationship with an object a car, a mobile device, and so on. So whatever it is, even if on occasion the issue actually travels through different relationships and is more representing similar archetypal nature, which we will come to in a little bit when we get to the shadow piece, then that was the development awareness that was offered on the front end. Let's see if there is anything that comes alive for you to reflect on that.
0: Well, the piece that is really reverberating is when we have resolved a pattern, oh, but we haven't completely resolved it. What I get is there are levels, like you were saying, and at the personal level, which consists of content from our lives that we can identify as an experience that we might have lived through, for instance, or something we might have inherited, but it's somehow very personally relevant. So we could work that out completely. And then guess what? There are other levels of our very own being, transpersonal layers. So now we are also a collective. Our lineage and our culture, perhaps our nation, the species, all of life, all of these are layers of our being. And so what I've found is, well, I have a premise, which is if it's anywhere in the world, it's in me. So I never completely resolve the pattern if it's in the world, but it's not present anymore personally, it's present transpersonally. And so now And so this is a bit esoteric, but because I've done the work and there are areas where I have, life says, fantastic, here's somebody who knows what to do. So let's give him now like a dump truck full from the USA's energy field. And as an example, so I get to do it again now for the collective, but with tools and with resources. And so my sense is this could be world work. In other words, we can each potentially do world work on the foundation of the good personal work that we've already accomplished. And therefore, it's not a sign that we somehow failed or missed it. It's that because we did the work and we were successful, that now we get to do it again with a broader scope and a greater impact in some sense. And it's
3: beautiful. Well, that is a potent and differential, really, consideration because this is what I meant in the idea of representational work. You are inviting us, Jeff, to the awareness, the recognition that we can choose to do the personal work as a work on behalf of the group or the nation or the world at large or the universe at large. And when we do so, even before we completed the pattern inside the personal, that flying upside down, that reversal, affords us extra powers that can actually accelerate the work. That's when we get to do years or months of work, sometimes in weeks or hours or minutes. So, yes, yes and. That led to the development council that was offered, which said that timing, the timing of your application in a developmental and in a healing context is a critical, critically important calculus. That is to determine when to address what. The reason being that certain developments require core know how, inner strength, resilience, stamina, and more. And these endeavors, these taskings, even when approached prematurely before a person was ready in terms of building their foundational capacities, then what they embark on may represent an overwhelming challenge. This is the case with development. This is the case with healing. So just the fact that I recognize an outage or an opportunity area doesn't mean I'm ready to climb that mountain. Just like for me to just imagine that I'm going to tomorrow morning begin to climb the Everest is going to be insufficient because I actually need to build readiness and and capacities to do so. And similarly, in many areas of endeavor, and, and this is important because we live in a time where many are wired to the belief thought, which is different to what you and I just talked about a minute ago in the permission of spontaneous development. But there is, in this age, the idea that if I can Google it or find it on social media, it means I have become it in a second. And that is actually not the true state of affairs. There are development spaces that require capacity building. And then the other side of that same equation is that avoiding what scares you is ineffective too because what you uh, run away from will likely catch up to you much later in life. Possibly when you're too fragile to process it, to handle it, to metabolize it, and to transmogrify it. So it is a good idea to encounter what scares you before you become too weak to address it, if you can. This is not a directive, it's a counsel, And it's more the two sides of the consideration of why timing, the timing of your development and healing endeavor, this timing is an important consideration.
0: Again, completely on board with this and appreciating it. I don't have much to add in this case, but big yes to if we approach a developmental challenge, prematurely, it seems perhaps too big. Or maybe that's a sign that helps us to know if it's right timing. If it seems too big, maybe it's not time yet. If it seems kind of right sized, maybe it is. On the other hand, it's good to stretch a little bit. So I guess it's a more of an art than a science and then engaging with the stuff, with the material of our lives, the scary stuff, the learning and growth opportunities when we have the strength is very wise counsel and then it occurred to me as you were saying that how wonderful it is that when we're young and perhaps quite naive we just charge into things and then we have experiences and a lot of them in my experience anyway tended to be scary stressful but i had the life force to deal with it then so there's a great wisdom in life when immaturity is actually an asset for rapid growth and then with wisdom I've become more discerning and I kind of pick and choose. Anyway, I'm sort of meandering a bit here, but I really trust life to bring me what I can handle. And I'm always willing to lean in to the challenges. And suddenly the challenges aren't as scary. Maybe it's the benefit of age. I did all the crazy stuff when I was younger.
3: Yes. And partly what this development council invites is self insight, self knowledge. For example, I know my nature. I know that I tend to stretch sometime, often overstretch, and skate, as we like to say, to the edge and beyond. So I have often engaged in assignments that, and the test is, can I make a recovery within 72 hours? Like I'm now within 40 hours from what was pretty extreme experience. So the jury is out this week whether I actually took myself beyond The threshold that I needed to take myself to, and we'll see how I continue the recovery this week. So this is an example of taking an assignment, not just in the sense of personal development, but if you work with a large group of people, and if, and on this occasion, this weekend, the sense is that we are, while we do the work we do, there is tremendously powerful healing processes underway, deep unfolding for humanity at large, at a psychic level, at an emotional level, and people have written and shared that they're experiencing very, very deep processes. So if you are at the facilitation end, the release and the trauma that people are metabolizing in some fashion, will you'll process that. And it depends as to how you're organizing your processes and formation, and to what level And what depth and how much will you take on board and how your own process, velocity and center of gravity will allow you to transmogrify quickly or slowly and how much of it leaves a residue at a cellular level with you. And there is a risk if you engage with collective work and you take on what's not yours to take on, then there is a risk associated with that.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I have a couple of indicators that I can rely on that tell me if I'm in the zone, the stretch zone, but not overdoing it. So if I start to get a headache or a migraine or something that tells me I may be pushing too much. And if I'm exhausted, I listen to that. Perhaps that's part of maturing is noticing and learning our own signals like you know, 72 hours is the key.
3: Yeah. That's the after signal talking about headaches and uh, burning nerve ends and such and solar plexus uh, heating up as signals. All of that is part of the work. Anyway, let's move on because we could go down this rabbit hole and stay there longer. So the sense was that before we embarked on the content that we wanted to actually allow for development encouragement. And it was interesting. I've never done this before in this way. You have Invite 200 people to on each muted to speak, to flip through the screens. Most people know each other and identify three faces individually at a time that they want to speak to a particular encouragement message. Of course, when we do this in person, you actually ask a person to turn to the person sitting next to them and say to them something. I've done this in a variety of ways. But in this case, we did it for the first time on Zoom. And I offered an example. I said, for example, you can turn to somebody and say to them, well, something like, do you know how courageous a spirit you are? You have come here to this earthly development theater, and you have entered the human experience at this time of culminating change. This journey takes enormous courage and forbearance. We see you. We see how brave you are. And it was beautiful because people did that, and then we opened the unmuted and got a few other people to, other voices to offer their spontaneously fashioned encouragement. And the big awareness there is we all need encouragement. I simply would demonstrate it, that Sarah, when we run these sessions, she sits here on her own screen, and part of the journey, we would sometimes have back and forth, sometimes we would disagree about something, sometimes we would encourage each other. And it's all part of theatrics, of working transparently with a group of people, and we're discovering that encouragement is very important, because we are truly going through a phase now in the development of consciousness, of humanity, where we need to encourage ourselves and we need to encourage each other.
0: You may be listening for me to add something, but how could I? This is so beautiful and it's so true, and we're all in this together, learning together, growing together, awakening together, culminating an epoch together, that could seem like big work. And yeah, encouragement. And what that comes from is the French word for heart. I really appreciate the language here. And yeah, the feeling of making a real heart connection with one another, which can endure the storms of mental activity and conceptual well, back and forth is what I'm seeing as we shift from one paradigm to another, but the heart connections, they hold.
3: Indeed. Indeed. The heart and the solar plexus connection, which is the energetic center from which and to which some of the heart work and heart transmission is offered and received. And then we said, okay, so with that, let us explore this idea of becoming a whole person, homo universalis. And part of homo universalis is the idea of homo evolutus and homo connectus. Because to truly unlock the fuller range of homo universalis, there is the connective part and the evolutionary part that those dynamics, those permissions, they open up, they get activated, they come online. And so we started to explore those. And as I said, the guidance into it was because we received, I received several questions about shadow work. And there is tremendous amount in the world, various YouTube channels from great luminaries about shadow work. So I'm not going to try and make myself or make what we do here the go to place for that. What we therefore attempted to do was to place it inside a broader context. And then we went deep into shadow work, nevertheless. So here is the way we accomplish this. Firstly, we actually placed those four endeavor zones and identified that largely what we were talking about was zone one, personal development. But then to do zone one, you can't really do zone one of personal development work without bringing the search for truth. Uh, You are much more effective in your personal development when you do so from the standpoint of searching to appreciate what the case actually is for yourself in the world at this time as part of humanity undergoing and a development and evolutionary change. And surely when you engage with zone one with your own development, it becomes inescapable sooner or later that you engage with a collective just in the beautiful way you offer that That it begins with you working on the issues and patterns in yourself, but when you mature or graduate these, they lead into the various collectives that you engage in, and they lead naturally to zone four, to impacting the world. So within that, we said, let's place those fields that I'm about to open more initially in the context of zone one, and then each person is the lone elective, self-authored in the sense of how they choose to write these into themselves, those permissions. And that led us into those 12 cultivation fields, where indeed we started with shadow work, because that was the inquiry. The whole point was to be able to say, look, situationally, shadow work may be 5%, maybe 10%, maybe 15%. Perhaps in certain circumstances, it's only 1% or 2%, or 20%. You choose for yourself. Let's just be aware and let's name the other fields such that the great fascination with shadow work does not become an end to itself, but is rather recognized, appreciated, and embraced inside a bigger context, which is this idea of human development in the evolutionary context from the Homo sapiens, or the sapien sapiens, into the Homo universalis permission. And then we started to open, and I'm about to go through the other 11. And actually, just even before that, we did this. I said, okay, so as I go through the 11, please use a calibration. It's a bit like you're in your field of expertise. And note for yourself, as I describe them, Where are you on the scale of interest, on the scale of energy, on the scale of importance with each of these? Use the review of those fields as an exercise for self-calibration. So just before I go there, anything that's arising for you in, in the way I'm specifically placing shadow work, maybe it's the 2%, maybe it's the 5%, maybe it's the 20%. You be the judge for your situation, but can we at place it in context, that this is part of a bigger body of work that we humans at this time are invited into as humanity is seeking to enlighten and illumine, but not just a shadow, a whole range of other permissions and possibilities and what we call cultivation fields here.
0: Yes, well, I love that all 12 of these cultivation fields get the same treatment. In other words, they're part of a larger context and I've witnessed and I've been party to and I've been the one who has expressed perhaps an over focus on one and making that the overriding priority when in fact, it is part of a larger context and it functions better as part of an ecosystem of development. So I've seen this with trauma, for instance, which is very central in the collective consciousness and awareness today. And that's a great thing. And I've seen situations where it becomes a central focus, where that detracts from other opportunities that are present. So if we can find the balanced way to explore the multiple dimensions of development simultaneously, then as you were saying before, in a different way, perhaps they can all support one another. So the shadow work is actually enhanced by virtue of the other cultivation fields that you're about to name.
3: As always, you are two steps ahead of the rest of us. So you are psychically and clairvoyantly already anticipating what's about to happen. And that will indeed be the case, which is that many of those, they enhance each other. And so, yeah, let us proceed. So that first field is near in the neighborhood of shadow work, but is not shadow work. The cleansing, sublimation, self-absolvement, and forgiveness work, this is work you can do on what's no longer in the shadow, what you become aware of. So if you became aware of it, if you see it, it's no longer the shadow piece. You're now called to do the cleansing, the sublimation, the self-absolvement, the forgiveness, other levels of healing, of trauma healing. And indeed, shadow work without as informed, as practiced, as fully embraced and engaged self-absolving work is only as half effective because you reveal shadow content and you don't fully metabolize or transmogrify the shadow. And so that's why that was placed as the second cultivation field. And right next to it, the third, similar but slightly in a different, perhaps the same zip code, but a different house. And by the way, I should say, once I go through all the 12, they by no means represent the full, complete, Space. Those are the 12 that came into focus on this occasion. And in different circumstances, we could bring others. But this specific idea of releasing blockages, stop situations, you and I have discussed in the past shrinkage reflexes. What is it that we do when we face a huge opportunity and we see the magnitude of the opportunity, but then we impose on the opportunity the limiting? Self belief. In other words, we shrink something large to our size, having in the process imposed on ourselves the shrinkage of our possibility and permission of what we can become through the endeavor that we engage in. So the need to release these, to melt them, to truly unleash the larger arena of possibility. And then we brought the fourth space which is to do with the larger spectrum of energy management, self-regulation and soothing work. That includes learning to appreciate and understand the different energy centers, five energy centers, the sevenfold energy system, the appreciation that you are a physical energy, an emotional energy, a relational and psychological energy, mental energy for sure, Spiritual energy, you processing and metabolizing those different layers, and I'm just naming some. We could name them through different frameworks and uh, categories. Recognizing that you are an orchestra that plays on all these different energies. You have all these different instruments that are part of the orchestra. And often when you focus just on one instrument and you shut out the rest of the orchestra, you will create certain imbalance. And so all the important body of work and set of practices to continually self-regulate and bring the whole person into harmonious and coherent balance, such that you can perform whatever it is that you need to perform in terms of your endeavor at, at the highest level. So that was the fourth space. I'm just going to run through them, and then we'll see where your intuition leads you to offer some. Okay, so now we're moving into a different set of spaces. This idea of updating the sense-making processes, the sense-making maps, the sense-making models through which, with which you see the world, you map the world, and the continual updating. A huge big part of the work I do with the hippoculmination has that at its core, that at its impulse, which is needing to continually update The maps we use, the cosmologies we use with which we look at the world. And right there with it, adjacent to it, the inquiry based perception seeking. Inquiry based perception seeking about oneself. Who am I? Why am I here at this time? What is the context in which I came into life? How do I appreciate and understand myself? What are my gifts and talents? What are the theatres of opportunity where I may be able to bring those talents and gifts to in service and to play in the best, most optimal way? And then a whole range of inquiry-based perception-seeking about what is occurring for humanity at this time, and that's where it engages with the sense-making maps. So one is outward in, and the second is inward out, and The two represent a double helix of guidance and information and know-how. And that led to, in this case, the seventh space that's part of the whole person homo universalis development and cultivation field. The work on values. The work on developing the virtues that are most central for you. So values is what's important for you. Virtues represent the way you bring the important values of your life into embodied practice. And all of those, they become the scaffolding and the formation of your character that is the infrastructure of the person you're building yourself to be. And in that sense, character is looked at as a layer above the persona in that sense that this is yourself. Obviously, you come with gifts and talents and traits and natures, and then you get to choose to not just take the importances that you were brought up with by upbringing, parenting, ecology and such. This involves the work of deciding to uh, differentiate what's important for you because of your reasoning and your maturation. So all that body of work that different people encounter at different stages of their life, through different opportunities, either because it was forced upon them or through struggle and pain. Significant body of work if a person is to become a whole person. And then building on that and adjacent to it is the broader space of capacity building, the building of resilience, the building of endurance, the building of mental toughness. Like, for example, if you're going to practice healing, and engage with trauma work and be a facilitator and work with large groups, you will need to develop mental toughness because by the very nature of the work that you're building, you will become more and more sensitive and more and more tender and therefore more and more vulnerable because those actually will become part of your tools. So how do you build the capacities to be even more vulnerable and more tender with others, but in such a way that will not burn you because it's very easy to get burned in this work. So all those capacities, let alone other intuitive and translatory capacities and and facilitative and other capacities, they're part of whatever you choose to build. Let me actually pause here after going through these eight before I bring the other four. Again, all of it is partly an exercise of saying, Shadow is great and important, but can we please see these other spaces?
0: Yes, well, I really appreciate how becoming a whole person and a Homo Universalis is the work of a lifetime. And I'm seeing these as stones that we turn over, and eventually we leave no stone unturned. And whether we approach from the east or the west or the north or wherever, in other words, this framework or another framework potentially, the intention to leave no stone unturned, in our self-examination feels extremely important. And so I'm enjoying, I'm really appreciating all eight so far, and I've really been looking forward to number 10 without knowing what it is.
3: All right, so number nine here is, this is different to character formation, but again, as you said initially, what is shadow work without inquiry-based perception seeking? It's incomplete, right? How effective is your cleansing and sublimation and self-absolving without building deeper and higher capacities in terms of your ability to metabolize? So self-authoring, self-leadership, purpose work, very important in the sense of really addressing the initial eight spaces is something you do to lead yourself and to author yourself. Those are never spaces that are imposed on you, that you're being led into by others. And even if you work with a teacher, with a facilitator, with anybody that would offer guidance and hold space for you, the recognition that part of this broader idea of whole person, homo universalis, is we come into this maturation, the universal permission of life through self-authoring, through self-leadership, and through the maturation of purpose work. And I could have framed a separate box here for purpose work, and this could have been number 10, but I ran out of space, so I grouped those together. Because purpose work, I mean, for me, purpose work was the central propulsion of my 22 to 42. I've gone through many, many iterations of purpose work. So it's there. And then number 10 is something you and I visited in the past, and chatted about alignment practices. And one of the ways to think about alignment practices is it's very important to bring everything we reflected here on, in these first nine to the embodied sense. These are not just words, as we said, because two people can choose the same words in the way they describe their purpose in life, And their internal alignment to these same words would be completely different. So alignment you can consider to be the ladder that you bring to the wall that you choose to climb. And sometimes you climb the wall to discover that, well, it was the wrong wall. So you thought your purpose would lead you there, but actually you now recognize that you need to realign and reconfigure the internal formation and apply those practices such that your ladder is first leaning on the right wall for you to climb, so you get to the roof that you're trying to climb to. And secondly, you may recognize that you brought to the project an eight-foot ladder, which is great, but actually what's needed is a 10-foot ladder. And it's not a harsh reflection on yourself, on myself. It's, oh, okay, right, I get to do another round here, another practice run, I need to go and get back into the capacity building, the resilience, the endurance, the mental toughness, the acuity, the perseverance, whatever the capacity that's needed to help the ladder become a 10-foot ladder such that I can be equal to the task, equal to the development. That's earlier Development Council, which is embark on the endeavor that you are ready to be equal to, or else it will overwhelm your system. And with the adjustment or tinge of challenge that you offer there, which is, yeah, always get just a little more than what you're comfortable with, so that, like with development of the muscle, actually the muscle develops where you get a torn part of the muscle, you innovate the development of the muscle by tearing beyond what you could do. So a little bit of that is the recognition that you develop by, at least in certain capacities, I would admit that frame of mind. In other capacities, please don't tear your muscles because the price can be too high. And then finally, the final two, these are large spaces. I said, I'm going to have to create some, unless I was to bring another four or five boxes. I said, well, contemplation and meditation practices, they each deserve their are space, but we group them as one because there are many different meditative practices. And that's where I wrote about the five core meditation, meditational practices that I engage in and contemplation modalities and technologies. One of which, by the way, is what I'm demonstrating right now is loom work. I am demonstrating how you contemplate the cultivation fields of whole person the whole person homo universalis, by creating those fields. And then, given the time and the circumstance, we could go deep into each one of those. And then finally, devotional and connection work. So these were the fields. And I'm about to go back and quite swiftly go deep into shadow work. But let me pause here again and see what comes alive for you on those last four.
0: Beautiful. Well, regarding alignment practices, as I experience alignment, it is about aligning with life, the flow of life, the direction and movement of life. And that's a capacity that can be built over time, the capacity to sense in subtle ways how life is moving and then flow with life. And what I've found is life will then show me where there's shadow work, where there are opportunities to cleanse or forgive or release blockages, improve my energy management. I'll be the first one to say right now that I'm a work in progress. So life is constantly showing me how to refine and improve and strengthen. And so for me, alignment is the trim tab or it's kind of the acupuncture point, or maybe it's the center of the mandala around which everything else then can find its place. And perhaps for others, there'll be something else. Maybe it's not about aligning with the flow of life, but maybe there is some central practice that then orients all of the other pieces. And then the system of our being naturally knows which stone to turn over next. And then the work becomes lighter and lighter and lighter. And speaking from personal experience, even big challenges don't feel overwhelming. So maybe it's because of my capacity growing, And, so both Then, maybe it's also because in aligning with life, life is doing the heavy lifting, whereas previously I felt that I, as a small self, had to do all of this big world work. Maybe we do it together, life and me, life and you, we as one.
3: Indeed. And what you are just demonstrating there, Jeff, is the embodied felt sense of that. So when you talk about alignment as aligning with the flow of life. These are not merely words, these are states, um, a whole person embodied to the degree that, as you said, it has become embodied, still working perhaps to reach few cells that want to hear the whisper of the flow of life. The point is when you talk to that in your work, when you teach, when you transmit that, there is an actual transmission. And in a minute, when we go through the next piece about shadow work will get to the fields of power, and one of them is concerns the powers of transmission. So when you transmit that, it actually allows another person to get calibrated and codified in their system with how they experience the flow of life and what that means for them. And within their own unfolding and discovery, they will come into a continually more refined sense of that, And then lose it and come back to it, lose it and come back to it until it becomes more of a permanent state. So that's part of the journey. And alignment practices is an invitation to find those various practices that allow you to drop into that sense of tetheredness to the flow of life. And can you do so and be concurrently joined to your very purpose because those two may be one and the same or building one on top of the other. So these were the fields. And then we said, okay, great. So since there were many questions and promotions and inquiries about this, can we go through this swiftly? And we started with, okay, why do shadow work? And a lot of the time, the invitation to do shadow work is because it will, number one, help you alleviate suffering. And number two, it's a way to journey towards wholeness. And often it ends with number one and or with number two, but we already, in the way you have spoken here at the beginning, in the idea of doing work on behalf of the world at large, that had the invitation and the suggestion that you do your own work because you include yourself as a whole person, as part of the whole, and you therefore, by illuminating the shadow in yourself, you are in some way beginning to illuminate the shadow for the whole, and thereby you ease the process of evolution. And to the degree that you choose to engage in your own development tasking with this third motivation, then you bring to it an additional power. So then I said, okay, let's cover some of the rich body of work that you can find in the world about shadow work and codify it with some personal examples. So I said what I was going to do is ground the three main shadow spaces, the three parts that we tend not to see, or the three disowned spaces, or the three suppressed or repressed spaces, whatever way you choose to name the shadow. These are all good definitions. And I said I will quickly go through them, then I will give personal example and uh, a strategy, and that's what I did. So the first was the introjection space. That's when we absorb a distorted Sense of ourselves and broadly speaking, either by general introjection or by specific introjection. Specific to mean, let's say you work with somebody closely. It can be somebody in your professional space, it can be even you live with somebody and for many years and they view you in a certain way and you begin to internalize and agree with their view of you, or it can be a teacher. That you work with and they see you in a particular way and you internalize that view so that's the specific but then you don't need to have a specific introjection just living in this world being exposed to media of all sorts and this is where the young people of today the 16 17 years of age and even younger the 12 13 14 too many of them are on suicide watch because they are exposed to social media and to seeing how other people live their glorious life, which is often largely a fake actuality rather than a real actuality. But they introject that as stress and anxiety-producing picture, and they develop a distorted self-view. So that's the first area. The second area is the projection part, when we impose or put upon other people, the world at large, our own distorted views, our own imbalances, and that content become then a shadow we externalize and project on others and becomes a material inside us and in between us and other people. And often is related to those things that frustrate us or upset us or we are afraid of or make us angry. And I gave some, in a minute we'll come to a rather funny example. And the third space, which was the space of displacement and the splitting of different parts in oneself and the distancing from the different parts of oneself. And in one simple way, you can look at yourself as the many different roles that you play in life. Maybe a manager at work and a spouse at home and a parent to your children and a contributor to a community and a citizen in the global space. And you may have some other roles, and some of the ways you show up in those various roles disagree with how you show up in the other roles, and that can create shadow content because you appear in one way in the community that you are devoted to, and then back home perhaps you're not always able to exercise the very and practice the very thing you describe that you want to be and or the way you show up in other spaces. So right there in that split, there may be... Parts of you that would be covered, are covered, to better handle the nature of this arising and festering tension, and or a conflict that may arise through the two natures of your soul, the electric you and the magnetic you. The electric you is the orchestrating part of your soul that takes the initiative and leads you into the next endeavors you embark on, and where all the new things you choose to do every day come through, and the magnetic you is the one that holds the value through the long wave of your life. And they don't always see each other eye to eye. They sometimes have a different view of what you're supposed to be doing. Magnetic you is exercising care and compassion and tells you, you need to slow down, friend, and take care of your health. And the electric you says, no, it's time to get busy again. It's time to get the next endeavor going. And they can run into conflict and can create a distance from the source that will power you. So we then went quickly through these examples. of So in the case of the introjection, I showed an example of how through a question that I asked of my teacher one day, I said, I'd like to ask about greed, G-R-E-E-D. And... There were 19 of us sitting in the room, and he looked at me strange, and he said, why on earth would you want to ask me about greed? And I said, well, I would want to make sure that as I do my own development, that this is not an operative impulse in the person and the character that I'm becoming. I'm describing a moment some 30 years ago. And he looked at me strange, and he shook his head, and he said, you people, you don't even begin to know yourselves. And he proceeded to talk, but he didn't fully elaborate, other than saying, of all the people in the room... You are the last person that ever need to be worried about that and ask me about that. And I didn't understand what that meant. And part of the way of the work there is, was for me to discover and decipher. And it took me a couple of years to take this searing moment and recognize that I introjected a view that was projected at me from other people who saw my passion, my dedication, my commitment to be expressed, or expressing rather, through their lens and value system, you'd only put yourself on the line in this way if you have some financial monetary agenda. And so I became worried that is it could it be that I'm doing something with that motivation when I never wanted that to be the first principle of why I do what I do? And it took me a few years to realize that and not be upset or angry with the person or the people that projected that, but actually be appreciative and thankful because it made me realize that what you do as a leader, the greatest disservice that you can offer as a leader is distance people from themselves. And the greatest service you can offer is create the ecology in which they are able to get grounded in their nature and their essence and be liberated so if you are doing true leadership of the new kind, you never look to build dependency on you. Rather, you are encouraging people to the greater power. And if you want to do so, you would lead them or guide them or offer the ecology in which they can lead themselves to access the greater power. All that was shadow work that was released in me because of 15 seconds of interaction with a wise teacher. And by the way, the extra benefit released my relationship with money to a point where I'm flying now, as you know, in a very rarefied space where very few people flying and able to do consulting at the highest level of Fortune 100 companies and get paid, not just handsomely, but beyond what I ever imagined was possible. So I was able to accelerate and do 10 years, rather do 30 years of financial development in 12 years, partly because I liberated my relationship with money, changed my relationship with money, partly enhanced by this shadow work. That's how powerful it can be. In the second example, I gave the example of relationship with technology, of how we project to technology in all our power, because technology is promising to be so powerful, and I Gave an example of how Sarah's iPhone, my wife's iPhone, gave us trouble. And I got frustrated because Apple's supposed to have perfect devices that have no problems with them. And to cut the long story short, I got on a service call with an Apple agent, and that call went south two minutes into the call. And I got frustrated and I started using language not only is not wise and not advisable. But it's totally ineffective. And why? Because it was a disempowering and frustrated language. So I finished that service call frustrated, put the phone down, and I, and I have this practice that when I find myself in this space, I do the reowning technology. I cool myself immediately, and I say, you cannot afford to be in this space. I put a smile on my face and called another, this time a better service agent. And we resolve the issues. I quickly am telling the story to instantiate that wherever we feel that we are deflated and lose our power, there is an opportunity to do some reowning work. And swiftly proceeding to the reintegration. So I gave here the example of those two lives, the electric and the magnetic use, and how I have worked for the last 30 years to bring them into harmony. But still, I would fall on my face and need to pick myself up. And the way to create the reintegration is rather than let them speak to each other with a critical, demeaning voice, let them speak to each other with an encouraging, higher calling voice so they get to appreciate. So the electric life says, I know life is not a dress rehearsal. I know you're here to make the most of it. So you are. I am the driver of you to maximize all the good work that you're here to do. So I'm I'm going to drive you with great intensity. And I need you, my sister, friend, magnetic you, to understand and appreciate. That's why I'm driving so hard. And the magnetic you would say, I see you, I understand you. I know you have that efficacy and economy in mind. Do understand that I see a bigger picture. I see all your many endeavors, including those you forgot to remember from earlier life. So I see the the scar tissue and the strain, and I will pull you back when it becomes too much. And I will hold you all the best of all your endeavors and remind you of those even in times where you forget. So by them hearing each other, they get to reintegrate their purpose, and I become a wholer, fuller, more liberated self because I reintegrated the parts that they disowned in each other.
0: Well, I so appreciate the illustration in more ways than one of how shadow work works to create wholeness, to bring forward the wholeness that is, but is not in our awareness. And when the part of me I don't see, the part of me, or parts of me I don't know come into awareness, something is activated. I call it wholeness empowerment energy. For some reason, there's this additional availability of maybe life force that we can work with as a whole, but not when we are in fragmentation. And so this reintegration process resonates so deeply and noticing where we've given power away, noticing where we've taken in something that isn't ours, These dynamics are, I want to say, supremely important to understand on some level as we work our way towards wholeness individually and collectively. So what you've described are stories of how you, Aviv, have experienced the process, and it gets, well, perhaps more interesting in the intersubjective space where we do this same work together and support one another and encourage one another to become whole. Bravo.
3: Yes. And then coming back to this picture of seeing the shadow work is again, as we said, maybe 3%, perhaps 7%, perhaps 10%. But recognizing that there are all these other fields we covered. And then one more thing, stepping into this idea that as we do this work, we can begin to appreciate and activate the fields of power of Homo Universalis, which I think is very much the space that you are working into in what you have shared with me. And again, I'm going to go through these six spaces rather swiftly. And then we'll see if we want to pause on any one of those. So first of all, healing power. Those curative powers, the powers of release, the power of self-absolving, self-absolution, at all levels, the mental, the emotional, the psychic, the cellular, the group you spoke about, the nation, the whole world, including the energetic bond that catalyzes spontaneous renewal. As you said, we can engage with the flow of life, and transcend so much so quickly. So the first field of power, healing powers, right next to it, adjacent to it, the blessings powers, the powers of well-being and of liberation, of the presence and enhancement of well-being, such that you even get an expanded energy field, an expanded aura, one that engenders the special and luminous care and compassion and love that bring in the people around you the best. And sometime you will simply walk into the room and just because of your presence there, so much will wash others because, again, you are not just representing yourself. You are offering, as you describe so beautifully, the flow of life that comes through you. You become a conduit for a field of power that's blessing to others. And then... The perception powers, the elevated intuition, the insight, the extrasensory capacities, the ability to calibrate deeply as you do, the deep acumen and discernment of multi-perspective, observing, listening, including the clairvoyance and the clairno capacities that become activated for you such that you are now able to translate not just what is in your field, but then the broader networks and spaces that you are joined to. And then the integration and creative powers, the capacities to integrate all natures, all dimensions, all rhythms, all ways of creating new expressions, new experiences, new compositions in all media, in music, in art, in poetry, in philosophy, and more. And the capacity to become a hub of integration of these, such that new mergings and new greater whole can manifest through you and through your talent and your life in a creative way. And then the transmission powers that we talked about, where you begin to offer elevated teaching and the inspiration and the illumination capacities that you work from, they include exceptional abilities to transmit knowledge, to transmit states, as I reflected a minute ago when you talk about The flow of life, these are not words, this is not knowledge, it's a state, it's a way of being, it's a way of showing up, that you're able to emanate and transmit and catalyze by way of transformation with others and the connective powers where you become the essence and presence carrier and transponder of those blessing realms, causing realms, that begin to access through you with a translucent and diaphanous plasma like invisible intelligence and uh, possibility washing and emanating through you so all those as a starter mapping of the fields of power of homo universalis that await our greater maturation and engagement with the evolutionary potential
0: well i imagine I'm not alone in feeling that this has been a whirlwind of revelation. I'm appreciating in this moment how you are a storyteller of life itself, how you are a wisdom delivery vehicle for life, life revealing deeper patterns of potential and perception that can be transformative at this time. So you and the community as a whole are bringing forth tremendously valuable work. Multiple bodies, I would say. Well, we would need more time to go into this in detail, so perhaps another time. But again, thank you. This moves me and touches me.
3: Well, thank you, Jeff. Again, the way of these fast-moving calls with you when we try to synthesize sometime 14 hours of endeavor with a large community into an hour and a bit They are made possible because of the ecology that you are creating. And one of the elements that we ought to integrate into the blessing powers and the transmission powers is the ecology setting capacities, creating spaces, creating spacious spaces of abiding, as you would often call them, and creating those spaces where the superconductivity of those powers can be activated and transferred, is part of the artistry and the mastery that we are called to produce and engage in at this time. So I think you are right, perhaps these are fields of power and activation to get back to another time and build on the exploration today. I sense that part of the significance of our call today is the sense that you started with The sense you were describing of how through the summer of year two of the pandemic, 2021, you were working to open as large a space in yourself as you could, almost the space of the entire cosmos, the entire universe. And that that is coherent with this other parallel way of telling the story, the two being perhaps the two sides of the same not just the same coin, but the same universe, which is the tremendous acceleration of spontaneous developments, where the journey from discordance to coherence is or can be almost instantaneous. The permission for it is there. And I believe we are sensing, as we're doing this call on the 26th of October 2021, we are in part looking forward to uh, 2022 and beyond, and what's about to be accelerated in the next three years for humanity. And there is a lot of catastrophizing that's happening in the world, for all the right reasons as well, and tremendous challenge, and yet we are also seeing these fields of power that are being potentiated, being activated, and that many of us all around the world are called to serve in some individuated and joint and communal fashion, to serve as ambassadors of these developments so that's how i would synthesize the space we visited and perhaps i can let you bring us to lending with your summation and parting words
0: as we lean into the emerging new year which is just over two months away but starting to emerge already you've just invoked it 2022 i haven't made any plans for 2022 in part to remain as spacious as possible. So that 2022 can be the greatest, most empowered non-linear response to these times as a healing response of life healing itself because we sort of step out of the way. So I would say it's not enough to step out of the way and be entirely in. What you're offering through these investigations is the clear understanding of some of the ways that we can participate. And as we participate consciously in the flow of life and the unfolding of these empowered nonlinear solutions, they have more power because they have our power.
3: Thank you, Jeff. This has been a delight. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Aviv.
1: Thank you for listening to Portals of Perception. If you're enjoying these dialogues, we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash portals. Visit portalsofperception.org for exclusive content. Please share this episode with a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.